your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solomon. On the phone with me this hour is State Assembly Rep of District 94. I wrote it down, Steve. Steve DeHoyle is hanging out this hour. How are you? Doing great. How about you, Rick? I'm good. When is uh, when is it too late to wish somebody a happy New Year, even if you haven't seen them yet? Like, what, do you have a date? Uh, July fourth. July fourth. Oh, okay. Um, that was uh, that, that, out of the blue. I wasn't expecting that answer. I was going to have a ten minute conversation about. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right. So, what what do you want to talk about today? Because you guys uh, you guys are off for a couple weeks yet, and then back in session until I think you told me. Uh, through March, huh? So what's what do you do? What are you guys doing right now? What are you doing? Uh, right now, we're still in the committee process. So um, I've been, uh, you know, I'm a member of the um, artificial intelligence study committee, and so we've had meetings now, working on a, a report that's going to be submitted to the legislature, or at least to the assembly. Um, I've been getting some notices of other committee meetings coming up in the near future, but in terms of being actually on the floor, uh, we are scheduled to go back, uh, right now, officially January 18th, although potentially we could be back as early as the 16th. Yeah. AI, we covered that a little bit last time you were on just, I, I think we saved it till the end, but. Um, any new developments there and what you've been learning? I'm, I'm sure a lot of it is a learning process as that stuff changes probably like month to month. You know, that, that's really true. And, and in fact, um, Speaker Voss was talking about the, there's several study committees going on right now. And he was saying each of the other study committees, they're expecting to bring out some legislation, um, you know, bills that we'd be voting on with regard to the AI committee. Again, because it is such a learning process, um, he was thinking that we may have to do another go at it to actually have accumulated enough both information and also kind of uh, perspective looking at what other states are doing that maybe this one will just in, uh, submit a report for the legislature to start to think about these are some issues that we need to be working on but not actually propose some legislation. So I guess we'll see. Um, I need to connect up with uh, Representative Nate Gustafson, the uh, committee chair, to see you know kind of where his, that, his head is at right now. Yeah, it is kind of interesting because if you, you uh, draw, draw some rules, make some, create some laws when it comes to AI, at this point the thing is so new that you, you might have to like undo those laws in, in a year or who knows down the road. And I don't know how easy that is to do. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, things like uh, privacy was a, a topic that we talked a lot about in terms of, uh, you know, AI infringing upon people's privacy. Well, we do have some law, you know, a lot of laws already related to the issue of privacy. So we can kind of, you know, band-aids those together to deal with the, you know, muddle through the situation in the short term as we figure out really, you know, what we need to do long-term with regard to, to AI. Um, and, and we can also just look at, you know, other states. Are they having good experiences with their new laws? Or are they turning out to be chaos or a disaster or whatever? 
608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Steve Doyle is going to hang out this hour on the on the docket here, along with maybe we'll continue this conversation about AI. Uh, Joe Gao, University, former chancellor at University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, might talk about that. Uh, redistricting, probably going to take quite a bit of time talking about uh, that. And I, I wanted to hit on um, some old news, maybe DEI a little bit, but also the shared revenue deal is also really old news. Um, but like where maybe citizens in Wisconsin lost out on that deal and how uh, it could be manipulated by the legislature and not by, you know, municipalities, county boards, city councils, stuff like that. But we're going to take a break. We'll be back with State Rep. Steve Doyle representing District 94 in a minute. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PMI. I'm Rick Solom. On the phone with me this hour, Steve Doyle, the state rep in District 94, Wisconsin State Legislature. They are not in session until maybe the end of the month here. What did you say mid-month? I, I, no, I forgot. I think you said like mid-month. Mid-month. And, mid-month. Uh, but they're doing work. So it's not. We always, I always kind of make fun of the fact that if you're not in session, you're not quote-unquote punched in. But uh, it sounds like you got, there's a lot of committee things going on. So you guys got kind of got back to work right away this week already, huh? Well, we've never really stopped. The um, AI committee has been meeting throughout. Um, I mean, we always still have things in our district. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, my wife gets annoyed every once in a while when people think that the only time judges are working is when they're actually in the courtroom. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when they're in their office, they're writing stuff and, and uh, you know, dealing with, with, with things. Same with the legislature. We don't have to be on the floor in, in the state assembly or the state senate to be doing things. Um, however, I do think that, you know, the fact that we're scheduled to be done for the year, for the two-year period, either mid-March or at the very latest mid-April, to me, I just think that's scandalous. I, I We get paid for the whole year, but we're done no later than April. I, I just never have understood that. Yeah, that, and I was going to draw a distinction there, because when you're not in session now, you're in committees. But and we we talk about this every time. But I love talking about it with you, even though I think you voted for it. Brad Path didn't vote for these uh, this calendar, and you voted for it. So I will say you you could have not voted for it. I don't know what harm or good would have come of it. Um, but when when you when you go leave session and now and you're not in session, you're doing committees. But in mid March or mid April, when you're done with session. Do you, are there still committees? And what are the point of those committees if you don't get reelected? That's my big beef with this, is you could not get reelected, and all that committee work that you do is for nothing. Well, we do have um, interim committees that would meet over the summer, um, and they would recommend legislation uh, that would be considered by the next uh, legislature in, in January. Those tend to be um, kind of... Uh, I'll use a bad term and call them nerd committees, meaning there are topics that are really in-depth. Like there was a study committee a few years ago, if I remember correctly, on fence law. Um, I mean, you know, it's an important topic for certain people, but not for a lot of people. Um, It's also, it can be kind of a complicated thing, and a lot of those things do take a number of meetings. Um, You know, I was on one, I don't remember if it was during the summer or if it was during the session, uh, relating to death certificates, and uh, we actually, I learned a lot on that committee, and we had a, quite a few meetings to, to, you know, to get to the end of the process. So those things are going on, but not everybody is on those committees. Some people aren't on any of any of them at all. 
Um, we still have constituent things. I mean, people are still, um, <coughs> excuse me, calling me, calling my office on different issues that, that come up. So and there's some stuff going on, but the, the, the legislative work is mostly over, and that's my big objection is, you know, like U.S. Congress goes till like, Labor Day or so. That, you know, I can understand that, um, you know, if there's an election in November, but to be done in April seems a little, little early. Yeah, and the argument the, the argument you have differs from Jill Billings, who represents the city of La Crosse, is she's like, we shouldn't be passing legislation in an election year uh, just because, I don't know, you're trying to pass the you know most egregious legislation to get the votes. And in my head, I'm like, aren't you trying to get the votes? Like, shouldn't you not be passing legislation? Uh, but we make fun of it both ways. Like when Scott Walker wants to pass $100 checks for every child that you have right before his reelection, um, and then Governor Evers tries to propose the same thing and he doesn't get that pass. It's like, well, can you who are you going to argue for? That's kind of the same thing. But like Evers didn't get the, the checks out for the billion dollar budget surplus. Walker did. Um, but, but billing says we shouldn't be, and you, you kind of think like, yeah, we should still be passing legislation if it's legislation that needs to be passed. Well, you know, last session at the end, the assembly had passed a lot of bills that I thought were important bills. Um, and we were continuing to be in session, but the Senate, uh, they adjourned for the year well before we did. So there were dozens of bills that made it through our house and were never even considered by, by the Senate. And a lot of them weren't even controversial at all. They were just important things. Some were more important, some were less important. But, you know, they were things that had gotten approval a lot of times unanimously in one house and then just went off to the legislative graveyard. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. I understand that you can manipulate it. And, yeah, you know, if you're at the end of the summer, early fall, you want to, you know, pass something that looks good or inflames the voters for November. Um, I mean, you're always going to get that kind of manipulation. But on the other hand, if we're getting paid to, you know, for 24 months of a session, I would seem to me that we should be working most of those 24 months. Yeah, you're passing that kind of legislation anyway. Like you're bringing in the, the, the country music singer to pass gun laws. I can't remember his name. Uh, oh, yeah. Whatever his name is. Um, we're going to go to the phones here, Steve. Just hold tight here. Caller, who is this? Hello? Okay, good job. Let's try Let's try this one. Caller, who's this? Eric. Hey, Eric, you got a question for Steve? Yeah, I wonder if he ever regrets uh, calling all the cops in the cross as racist. Do you remember that, Mr. Uh, what's your name? <laughs> all right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I don't think Steve called all the cops of the cross racist uh, or Mr. What's your name? So if you don't know the guy's name, then I don't know if you can you can pin like the most egregious thing you've ever said to a person on my show uh, to a quote there. Um, let's see here. What do I want to talk? Do I want to talk about Joe Gao or do I want to talk about redistricting? I think I think what I want to talk about. Let's. I want to talk about the the DEI stuff first. Let's just just in terms of. Okay, so so why did the Board of Regents make a deal with the state legislature? Is it simply because they were going to lose their position in the state Senate for being confirmed? Because the state one of the state senators said, if you don't vote for this deal, then you're not getting reconfirmed and you won't be a Board of Regents because you want that you want that honor. You want the honor of being on the Board of Regents. And therefore, uh, we're just going to to do whatever daddy says, so to speak. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, I think that you probably should ask them that question. Okay. Um, I I think that the legislature is very heavy-handed on that, or at least mem- certain members of the legislature were very heavy-handed on that, and um, uh, they probably made uh, what they considered a you know a calculation that you know we don't really like this outcome, but if we don't go along with it, it's going to be even worse. So let's pick the lesser of the evils. Uh, I'm not saying that I agree or disagree with sure. them. Um, I mostly disagree with the legislature holding the university hostage. That that was the worst part of the whole thing. Is there is there a lawsuit here? Because they well, it was weird too because the state budget had pay raises for university employees in it. So why why that was a negotiation seemed weird to me. Well, and, and I understand that the attorney general's uh, lawsuit in that regard, um, he wrote a letter to the court saying this is still a valid lawsuit, even though uh, you know this was resolved. We still want the court to deal with it. So we'll, we'll you know we'll see how that um, plays out. You know, if something was approved can and then you know ultimately signed by the governor, even uh, can the legislature or a committee like the Joint Finance Committee mm-hmm. unilaterally say, eh, we're not going to do that anymore." Yeah, that's that's huge because then they could just take anything that was passed in the state budget, like uh, uh, student pupil funding, right? They could just, yeah, we just we're not going to do that, right? Like they they could just pick and choose what they want out of the state budget if that lawsuit doesn't go doesn't go the right way. Right. I mean, there are some things that we put in the budget that say, okay, this needs final approval by the Joint Finance Committee. That's okay. fine. But this wasn't one of those things. This was, you know, signed, sealed, delivered. All right. That seems important. Um, also, you know, before the Joe Gao news came out, um, part of the DEI deal with uh, pay raises, the other half of that was University of Wisconsin-Madison gets an engineering building, and I think there were some other building deals in there. But UW Lacrosse is Prairie Springs deal that's been sitting on hold for five years wasn't part of that. Why didn't uh, we fight for that at all? I mean, this isn't your district, I know, but it just seems like, hey, if we're going we're gonna to negotiate two completely different like the things that aren't related to each other and shouldn't even be a negotiation. Um, the university should have been throwing all kinds of things into it, into the mix, including oh. Prairie Springs. Well, I think everybody did fight for it. I mean, certainly my colleagues in Western Wisconsin all fought for it. Both of the democratic colleagues and Republican colleagues it did. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of, um, you know, why didn't it get put in? You know, why was it taken out in the first place? You know, there has been some talk that, um, the legislature, in particular, the powers that be in the legislature, didn't really like Joe Gao, and they weren't going to give him, you know, anything as a feather in his cap. Ever since that, you know, Nina Hartley um, <clears throat> episode back where he brought her in to okay. be a guest speaker at the university, twenty eighteen. So, yeah, there may have been some personal poke in the eye there. Okay, so we were still, uh, I shouldn't say butthurt about that, but we were still hurt about the Joe Gao thing from twenty eighteen, and then. That all just comes back uh, last week, uh, like in full force. Uh, these are bad, ana- bad, bad analogies or cliches I'm using um, with the Joe Gao thing. What was your? What was? I mean, you had to be, you had to fall out of your chair when you saw when you saw that all that break, huh? Yeah, I mean, I was sitting at home working on the computer, I think, on something. I don't remember what. Um, but yeah, then I, it, uh, actually both at the same time, I got an email and a text message. Uh, with the article saying that he'd been fired. And I thought, well, you know, I knew there were some people that didn't like him, but then when I saw why he was fired, that certainly was interesting. Um, and the the mayor, 
of lacrosse put out a statement. Jill Billings and Steve, and Brad Paff, I had asked them to put out a statement, or if they were going to put out a statement. I, I got ghosted on both occasions. I didn't ask you because UWL isn't in your district, but um, it is. It, and we talked about this yesterday. I feel like this this is really does it when it comes to the state legislature is its relationship with UW lacrosse. Does the Joe Gow thing? Help or hurt UWL now? If Joe Gow, if if he end up, ends up being fired or leaves the university, does it in the long run kind of help because because of what you said about them just kind of like holding on to the 2018 Nina Hartley uh, uh, speech? I, I would think it would um, help. Um, you know, hard to say. I can't put myself in the minds of, in particular, the joint finance members who have the greatest say on the whole thing. But I, I would think it's a positive. Now, if he you know, retains his position as a, you know, as a teaching professor at UWL. Will they hold that against the the university? Some may, some may not. Um, I think it's a different consideration. Um, I mean, he's essentially an at-will employee as chancellor. Um, if he didn't want to be here or we didn't want him to be here, either side could terminate that relationship. He had a contract that said, you know, we can terminate you for whatever reason or no reason, basically. Um, it's much different with regard to the teaching position because he is tenured faculty, um, and there are a lot of rules that you have to follow to terminate a, a tenured faculty member. So uh, I, I think it's probably a good thing that uh, the regents and, and the interim chancellor decided to bring in a, a law firm, uh, one that I assume specializes in employment law, uh, to tell the university what it can and cannot do with regard to that tenured position. I and mean, if the law firm says, no, nah, he's, you know, he's toast, you can get rid of him, they might go one way. If they say, no, nah, you know, if you get rid of him, you've got a lawsuit on your hands that you'll probably lose, then I'm assuming that they'll keep him on board. Um, but I think that you know, hearing from experts who are going to tell us what the law says, rather than somebody who hates him for being what they consider a pervert or loves him for being a free speech advocate, you know, those are really irrelevant if you have a law firm saying, here's what the law says. We're speaking with State Rep. Steve Doyle represents uh, District 94 in the Assembly. Um, yeah, that is pretty interesting just to, because I, I think, do you, do you think the state legislature wants this fight? I feel like they like the fight against tenure, the, the, the term tenured, the idea that uh, professors can be tenured. I think there are a lot of people, in, uh, especially in the majority party in the legislature, that don't like the concept of tenure and, and uh, you know, w- would be interested in having this fight. It, it, you know, plus, it just, it, 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 you can try to twist it as, you know, we're fighting for, you know, all that's good and holy, and, you know, we're fighting against the, the perverts in the legislature, in the, you know, university system. Um, you know, so they could try to portray it that way. Um, I think most people, quite honestly, would like to just move on. Uh, you know, the university's job is to educate students, and that's what they should be focusing on, not whether we're keeping or firing people. And I will say, uh, Provost Betsy Morgan has been uh, is now the interim chancellor. Uh, okay, so so this is funny though the the idea that the majority party in the state legislature would love to see like the the idea of tenure positions be you know, no, no longer be in existence, I guess, or be changed a little bit. But I feel like the majority party in the state legislature kind of has a tenured position in the terms of uh, the way the maps they drew in 2010. Don't you think? Look at this distinction I'm making, Steve. Wow, that's a great segue. <laughs> um, 
I, I would argue that that is probably true. Um, if you are in a safe seat, you don't have to be responsive to the voters. You can just coast and still get your paycheck. And I'll say Steve Doyle's District 94 right now is probably one of the, the toughest districts in the state assembly to to win the votes. He's got to he's got to cater to both parties, so to speak, or cater to both sides of the aisle when it comes to his constituents. And we're going to talk about the fact that his job might get easier come next election with new maps. But we got to take a break. We'll be back after this. Okay. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom hanging out with me this hour. Not literally because I have a cold and I don't want him in here. Steve Doyle is representing District 94 in the state assembly. And uh, we were talking about we were just transitioning. I made such a nice transition, probably the best one of my career. Uh, and then I had to go to break. But it was, I was I made the transition from the idea that professors have tenure at universities and state legislators, especially in Wisconsin, it would be Republican state legislators. Well, it would, it, would, it would be both. Certain state legislators have tenure in their districts because gerrymandering, and that might all end. And you, you told me during the break, January 12th is the big day where the maps are unveiled. Huh? New voting maps that we're going to, what happens January 12th after that? So the, uh, the decision that was issued by the Wisconsin Supreme Court says that all of the parties have uh, until January 12th to submit their version of what the maps should look like. Um, and then there's, uh, I don't know, about 10 days or something for the, you know, each side to comment on what the other side did. Um, and then it uh, also then goes to those, uh, those two experts that will say, do, does each map, each version of the maps, uh, meet the requirements that the court had set out. All right. Do we know what the requirements are? Are there, are there certain requirements yeah. besides the lawsuit saying the maps need to be contiguous and uh, essentially that? But I don't know. Like last time we did this, the court made a requirement out of the blue to, to, to make it a least change map. You can't change uh, the voting population very much. But this one, what are they? Uh, well, the... Um the, the Wisconsin Supreme Court said that there are uh, a number of criteria, um, and I don't have it in front of me, but it, it has to meet federal law. Uh, they have to be, con- you know, the districts have to be contiguous. Uh, they have to, I think there's in there about that they have to be as compact as possible. Uh, and there are some other, what I would call kind of generic requirements that you would expect in, in any particular um you know, set of maps that you know that they'd have to meet. Um, a thing that they had in their decision uh, that was not necessarily a requirement; it was actually the lowest on the list. Was you know the partisan balance. Um, you know, and, and so they're they're saying yes, you can consider <clears throat> that in drawing these maps, but that is not the overriding consideration. The overriding consider consideration needs to be that they are contiguous and meet federal law. Um, when you heard of the decision that we were going to get new voting maps, did you start thinking about like whether or not your district would change? Because you are in, I would say, if not the the, you're in one of the districts that is already kind of the way it's supposed to be, where you have kind of an even number of Republicans and even number of Democrats, and you kind of kind of come to the middle on a lot of issues. To be honest, I would love to see the rest of the state be like my district, where. You know, you you have to be honest. You have to, you know, you, you have to treat both sides with respect. Um, otherwise, you're going to get defeated. So, you know, if more of my colleagues 
have to be responsive to both parties, not just to their own party. Um, I think that would make for a better democracy, better laws. Um, I suspect it would also make for better um, atmosphere in the legislature, because right now there's a lot of mistrust and, um, I would argue, lack of respect that we see in the legislature. And uh, I would think that if we had more balanced district, you'd see people being forced to get along with each other a lot more. Now, you first took office before before the maps had changed back in 2010, or did you take office right after they changed? So when I first got elected um, in the special election in 2011, there was a set of maps that were really only in place for like two years. And, uh, you know, the, the district after the, the next change in, in maps across the state didn't do a whole lot of change to my district. I, I, I had... The town of Campbell originally for two years, and then that went back to the 95th district, um, and a few other lines were changed here and there. But but you know the percentage Dem versus Republican in my district didn't really change a whole lot from pre 2012 to post 2012. But before that, your district had some of La Crosse, right? The city of La Crosse, not your district, yeah. but the person before you. Uh, yeah, I mean, historically speaking, going back to, uh, you know, prior to my predecessor, Mike Hipps, uh, Virgil Roberts um, had represented that, that district for a number of years, and the 94th district um, included the north side of La Crosse. I mean, historically, uh, the north side of La Crosse was put in with, you know, the Onalaska home and West Salem area, um, and the city of La Crosse had some of that if I remember correctly, some of that area down like Shelby Greenfield and, and so forth. So things um, were changed, and for, I guess, maybe 20 years, um, the north side of La Crosse has been in the 95th district. So are you, are you, like, licking your chops, like, hoping, oh, man, I hope I get some of the north side of La Crosse back, or not back, but for the first time for you? Well, I grew up on the north side of La Crosse, so I, I would love to represent the north side of La Crosse, but I'm mostly interested in what the rest of the state looks like. I mean, if my district doesn't change at all, that I'm not going to complain about that. Um, you know, I like representing the district. I like being forced to, you know, be bipartisan. And, uh, you know, so if, if, if my district stays the same and the rest of the state starts to look more like my district, I'm not going to complain. The, the headlines uh, from the AP today are the consultants that are looking at changing the maps. I think one's from New York and one's from Virginia, maybe, if that didn't change. Uh, they're getting 450 bucks an hour and up to, so they have a cap. They have a, they've salary capped them at $100,000, which I'm sure they'll probably make just about that much. Uh, 450 bucks an hour to uh, consult on new maps. What do you think? Would you take that deal as a lawyer? I'd love to take that deal as a lawyer. I would note, uh, however, that uh, hourly rates for lawyers in La Crosse are a lot lower than in Madison, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, and so forth. So what those consultants are getting paid, although I don't think they're lawyers, they're they're professors, um, would not be out of line with what the lawyers who are handling uh, some of these numerous lawsuits that we've had in the state of Wisconsin involving the legislature, whether it's the Michael Gableman stuff or the open records stuff or whatever, lawyers in those lawsuits are getting probably in that range. Yeah, four yeah, four hundred fifty bucks. Um, and and they're also kind of on a time crunch, right? If the if the Republicans are arguing that this isn't 
this isn't long enough for them to draw new maps. Uh, you could, you could, all, the, our, the consultants could argue, hey, this is this is a tough job. We need we need four hundred fifty bucks an hour. Well, uh, first of all, I don't think it's um, too short of a time for the parties to submit maps by January twelfth because I would guess that all of those parties already had those maps drawn. Uh, once the court decision came down, at most they're tweaking it, but. With the software that that everybody has these days for drawing those maps, you could literally redraw those maps in a day or less. Um, I mean, you just tell the computer what you want it to do, and it will do that. Um, you know, so having those being required to be submitted by January 12th, I think, is not a big deal. The more important deadline is the Elections Commission has said, we need final maps by March 15th. That's the drop-dead date. Um, so to fit all of this in by March 15th makes those other dates really, they can't be moved. I, I think that, you know, getting the first stuff by January 12th and then the response 10 days later and then the experts submitting their stuff shortly after that, I think those, to fit it in before March 15th, those dates need to be adhered to. Now, the, the argument in 2010, like we always, I, I've talked about it before, and you could tell me if it's true or not. But I, I believe it's true. Is when Republicans drew the maps in 2010, 11, around there, it was behind locked doors. You had to sign non-disclosure agreements, and Democrats weren't part of the process. Um, I believe that's, I, I, for all I know, that's true. Um, now, when these maps get drawn, are are Republicans and Democrats like couldn't they come together into the same room and make the new maps together and go, hey, we could work together on this thing. Or is that not well, how it's going to go at all? Well, funny that you should raise that point because uh, Speaker Voss has said that he wants to create a committee in the legislature that will draw some compromise maps. Um, I, I know that the Democrats in the legislature are saying, well, let's see what he's talking about. Um, if he wants a, to create a committee that's you know mainly made up of one party, um, that that would not be something that the Democrats would agree to. I mean, if we're going to draw maps, there should be equal input from both sides. Um, we would certainly also want him to, you know, that committee, I should say, you know, to follow rules like what the Supreme Court laid out, not just some version of, of things that, that we want. Um, you know, so I, I would hope that if we do go down that route, that it would be an open process and it would be a fair process um, where people would say, okay, you know, as uh, as Rick Solon from Lacrosse said, uh, parties came together and accomplished something together. That would be nice. Um, if you think that's likely to happen, I got a bridge I can sell you. Um, <laughs> but I would certainly like to see it happen. Hey, the county's spending fourteen million dollars on road funding, so like, there's money to be had on new bridges. Um, there, well, there you go. Well, also for creating a committee, and you say we've got like six days to submit maps, and I don't know. Like, I guess the committee could review this stuff up to March fifteenth, but that's a uh, we should so, already so, so, have the me, committee. Let me let me interrupt. So we're talking two separate tracks here. Okay. So the the lawyers in the lawsuit have until January twelfth. The legislature on a separate track can do what we want when we want, so long as we produce something by March 15th. March 15th. Okay. So we have time if we wanted to create a committee, but we should probably, you know, have that committee already. And then who would be on that committee? Uh, that would uh, like, and then who gets to decide that? So it's always, 
Uh, that's always interesting. Um, I, in my my theory here is whatever we do, the U.S. Supreme Court's going to come down and just flick it all away and go, no, we're just going to leave the maps the way it is. It's too much. Uh, I don't know what the, what excuse. They could use any excuse they want, right? Because they're the Supreme Court and nobody rules above them. Right. I mean, they could. I mean, they, you know, they could say that, uh, you know, Justice Portofewicz shouldn't have participated. So we're going to send this back to the Wisconsin Supreme Court and um, she can't be involved. Well, from the Republican point of view, a delay is a victory just as much as simply throwing out the lawsuit and saying that the old maps stay, because a delay means that the maps, any new maps wouldn't be drawn in time for that March 15th deadline. So 2024 would be, those elections would be held under the same set of maps. Um, and when we're talking, Janet Protosewicz is the newest Wisconsin Supreme Court judge that was elected. And during her campaign, she said things that 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 deal with new maps. I think she said they were rigged or whatever. But this this is funny too, right? Because other Supreme Court justices have done similar things on the campaign trail, right? Like this isn't anything new. Well, that's true. And I mean, the thing you also have to keep in mind is the maps that we've been operating under in these last elections were drawn by the Wisconsin Supreme Court. I mean, the Wisconsin Supreme Court in that lawsuit said the least change is what you have to do, and these are the ones we're picking and least change. So anybody who was on the Supreme Court that voted in favor of the maps that we've been operating under has already said, we think these maps are good. We think these maps are constitutional. So how can they say that she tipped her hand ahead of time and they didn't? I mean, to me, the rules are the rules, and they should apply both ways. Yeah, well, the, the rules are were made up too, right? The least change that was a made up rule, so it's just kind of funny that that comes into play, or it, it's to see if that comes into play at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that least change is great if you you know want to keep the status quo, but if you really truly believe that the maps aren't fair, then you would certainly not talk least change. I mean, you would certainly put in rules like. You know, like the Supreme Court did in this case, these, you know, we're not saying you have to draw the maps, you know, the lines in a particular way, but it has to follow these rules. Sure. And, you know, one of it being that the districts all have to be contiguous. And contiguous. That's a word I'm going to have to remember. I, I phonetically spelled it out because I keep saying it wrong. Um, all right. Last thing with Steve Doyle, Assembly, uh, Assembly Rep in District 94 here. Um, okay. So two things, I guess. Uh, I want to do a little bit of a, just one recap of what happened, but do you have any goals set for, for com- this coming, this coming year besides getting reelected, I guess? Uh, well, I am interested in this, um, uh, the AI uh, topic that we've been working on. So I'd like to see us do something in that regard. Um, we're sitting on this big, uh, surplus and the two sides haven't been able to figure out what to do with it. So it's just sitting there and the people who paid it in, i.e. the taxpayers of Wisconsin, aren't able to touch it. I would like to see us figure out some way that we could equitably, you know, not just go on a drunken sailor spending spree, but, you know, to give that money back to the taxpayers, either in programs that they want or in tax refunds or rebates that uh, they deserve. So, you know, those are, uh, you know, things that are, unfortunately, at this point, maybe wishful thinking, but I would certainly hope that both sides could, even if it means holding their noses, work together to deal with that that issue. 
I mean, if the state legalized marijuana, I mean, the, the Robin Voss, the assembly leaders talked about legalizing medical marijuana, but I don't know if that brings in tax money. But if the state legalized recreational marijuana, we, we've seen it in other states. That brings in a ton. Like, man, we would have a budget surplus over 10. We would have a budget surplus like Minnesota's, which was $17.1 billion. Wouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like we did, you know, decades ago with uh, with the lottery. Wisconsin didn't have a lottery. Then we saw all the states around us making money off the lottery. Now we have a lottery and we, you know, we bring in a lot of money from it. Will that happen with marijuana? Maybe. Um, right now, um, the, you know, I've talked to people who buy uh, CBD at, at a lot of the, the shops around town, around the state, which is essentially, you know, marijuana. Um, my wife has uh, bad knees, and so she asked somebody who was at a, a seminar uh, that judges were at, you know, said, if I would buy some of this stuff at one of these stores that's perfectly legal, and I got pulled over and, and uh, I was tested for, you know, THC in my system, would I pass or fail the test? And they said, you'd fail. You'd, it would show up that you had it in your system. You know, so we say we don't have legalized marijuana in Wisconsin, but we have something that is, you know, it, it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck. Okay, that's interesting. All right, last thing, um, the if you wanted to recap, Last year, the biggest one of the biggest things that happened is we got a shared revenue deal, and it brought in some money to, especially to rural communities. Uh, I think the city of La Crosse got a million. I don't remember what on Alaska got. Maybe you know off the top of your head, but um, what one of the parts of the shared revenue deal that I did not like was the fact that like counties and cities cannot put anything on a a ballot. Uh, if you want to call it, what do you want to call it? A referendum, like a non-binding referendum, something like that. Right. They were advisory referendums where we had a chance to ask people, what's your opinion about this issue or that issue, whether it's legalizing marijuana or abortion or you know, whatever the topic was, um, just so people had a chance to, to weigh in. Wisconsin, unlike a lot of western states, does not have um, uh, binding referendums that can be created by you know, circulating petitions. You know, in California, they have a million things on their ballot every election because you, citizens get petitions signed and stuff goes on the ballot. The only way in Wisconsin that can happen is if the legislature puts it on the ballot. So if we don't want to hear what people have to say about any of these issues, we simply don't put it on the ballot and we just ignore it. And I, I think it's unfortunate that the shared revenue deal said that counties and cities and towns and villages can't put things on the ballot to see what uh, what their voters have to say about it. I mean, this is should be a free country where people should be able to express their opinion. Yeah, and I only bring it up because Robin Voss, right before the new maps uh, decision came out, I think this was two weeks ago, he said that he might put abortion on the statewide ballot. The the idea, and I don't know in what regard, but the the, the state kind of has a 174-year-old abortion law, or it has one from the 80s, depending on who you ask. It sounds like we're maybe using the 80s one now. Um, but he would put something on the ballot. But then it's like Robin Voss and Republicans get to write how that's worded on the ballot. And we've already seen like it's, it's you know those kind of things get manipulated. But now now cities and counties can't even uh, you know cities and counties can't put abortion on the ballot, which we did last I think last election. But but now Robin Voss says no, maybe the state legislature will do the thing that we took your rights away from. It just goes to show whoever makes the rules gets to do it the way they want. All right, and do you think uh, do you think those rule makers will with new maps? Do you think that majority will will switch, or do you think it'll come closer? Do you think Republicans would still maintain power? 
Um, well, I, I think just the way that the voters are spread across the state of Wisconsin, where Democrats are concentrated in the big cities, it's difficult to to create districts that are balanced. I mean, you know, in, in the middle of Milwaukee, you can't draw a district that is going to ever have an, a, a Republican elected. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you've you got to have then districts that are probably like 90 percent Democrat, and you can't then try to balance it out around the rest of the state. Most places are not like, you know, La Crosse County, which you could draw the lines to have a Republican district and a Democratic district. You could draw the lines to have two Democratic districts. Probably difficult to draw a line to make two Republican districts in La Crosse County. But you can make it, you know, you can you can tweak it in various ways. Statewide, we're still going to end up with the likelihood of a at least a slight Republican majority in um, likely the Assembly maybe a little less likely in the than in the Senate. Yeah, and we were talking over the break, too, how interesting it is. Do you draw a circle around La Crosse and make that a district because then you, you keep everybody in the city of La Crosse a district? Or do you do you split up the county in different ways because people's problems in in the in rural areas of, of La Crosse County and people's problems in the city area of La Crosse County has kind of got to be intermixed. You kind of got to spread that out versus talking always about are the Republicans here and the Democrats here? We got to split that up. We should probably disperse the problems, right? The dilemmas that people face when it comes to drawing these lines. I mean, that's exactly the dilemma that uh, map drawers face is, you know, what is your perspective? Do you, you know, for La Crosse, do you look city is different than the out county or is La Crosse County as a whole um, its own being? Um, and I think you could make a fair argument in either direction. All right. That's State Rep. Steve Doyle. Thanks a lot for spending the hour with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We got to take one more break. We'll be back after this. All right. That's all the time I have for today. Thanks again to State Assembly Rep. Steve Doyle in the 94th District for joining us this hour. Pretty interesting conversation. If you want to listen to that, you can go to wisdomnews.com slash podcast. Here in a couple of minutes, all the all the shows end up there. Mike Hayes' interviews, uh, mine, Around River City podcast. 